Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, July 27th. We begin with a look at the results of a new poll on defunding the police. It appears that Canadians have strong opinions on the topic, split right down the middle. We get the details from Ipsos Vice President Sean Simpson. With deaths from COVID-19 set to top 150,000 this week in the U.S., the coronavirus pandemic is still very much topping the headlines down south. We get the latest on the situation from Global News Washington reporter Jennifer Johnson. Do you take vitamins or other supplements as part of your daily routine? We touch base with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, to find out if vitamins really work or if they're just a waste of money. Masks will become mandatory in indoor public spaces and transportation. We look at the challenges wearing a mask creates for those in the deaf and hearing loss community. And finally, it's a new trend born from the travel restrictions due to the pandemic. We'll hear about the upswing in destination real estate, which is booming in the town of Canmore. Coming up to 7.09 on the morning news, the death of George Floyd has renewed calls to defund the police, taking funds away from local police budgets and instead putting that money into social programs or mental health supports. It's an issue on which Canadians are divided and Ipsos polling exclusively for Global News. Uh, Canadians are split on whether to defund the police. We're joined by Ipsos Vice President Sean Simpson. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. And when when you say split, when it comes to these results, you, you don't get much more, uh, you know, divided as far as the center line, if you will. Oh, we are split. 51% support, 49% opposed to funding the police. We're split along geographic boundaries and uh, most pronounced we're split among generation age. Let's talk about that one a little bit, Sean. Generational lines, where is the divide and what does that look like? Well, the younger you are, the more likely you are to support defunding the police. So among Gen Z, uh, 77%, quite quite conclusive, 77% support the funding. If we get a little bit older into the millennial crowd, 63% support. And then the big dividing line is there. Once you get into Gen Xers, those that are, you know, about 40 to 60 uh, support drops to only 47%. And then the boomers, the oldest age category, uh, only 39%. So this is going to be interesting. It's obviously young people who are leading the charge here, but older people much more likely to oppose, to strongly oppose. And we know that that is a demographic that votes. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about um, what that actually means? Was there a definition to people who were responding to the poll of what defunding the police means so that there was full understanding there? Yeah, so what we said is that, you know, some have argued that we should defund the police, meaning to take funds away from police department and give them to other services such as social workers, mental health supports, etc. And, you know, I think, you know, just like anything, the devil's in the details, right? And so, uh, you know, it's interesting to note that just off the bat, this is really the first discussion we've had about this in, in Canada and, and to some, it's a radical idea. And, and uh, even though we're split, essentially 50-50, the fact that support is 51% uh, suggests that we're at least prepared to have this conversation, mm-hmm. to get into the details about what it looks like uh, and something that Canadians would, uh, would consider. Uh, when we look at the polls, those people who are on opposite sides of the spectrum, 19% strongly support uh, 24% strongly opposed. So we've got a little bit more on the on the opposition side of the equation. Uh, but, you know, as we learn more about what this means, what the implications are, you know, I expect that Canadians will, will move one way or the other. 
Well, you know, you talk about that wild swing between the ages, uh, but how about regionally? Can we break it down, the different provinces and the different thoughts when it comes to the defund uh, question? Yeah, we can. So support is uh, is strongest in places like British Columbia, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. 56% support defunding the police. It's 54% in Quebec, 51% in Atlantic Canada, and then a little bit lower in Ontario, 49 and Alberta, where we are, 48% support. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not as, as uh, key a division as age, but uh, what we're finding is that there's a big urban-rural divide. 51% of urban Canadians support it, but only 40% of those living outside of the big cities support the idea. It's a fascinating concept, and I mean, we get this a lot from the U.S. because this has become a big story south of the border, right? And and we did just have somebody text in to say, you know, police in Canada and the U.S., different policies, college degrees and masters here in Canada, yeah. police in the yeah. U.S., it can just be, you know, you've just come out of high school kind of thing, and I think that maybe changes the discussion a little bit, but, you know, it's certainly one, as you say, with young people leading the charge, it it gets us talking about different options. Yeah, and, and I don't think it, this this is necessarily meant to be punitive towards the police or um, to, to 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 necessarily argue that um, the police are are um, you know not helpful or mm-hmm. bad in Canada. It's just simply that maybe there are alternatives that would be more effective for non-violent cases. If somebody is in a mental health crisis. Uh, are the police, as educated and trained as they are, the best people to intervene? Or would a social worker, you know, with, with those specific credentials, be be more effective at intervening and de-escalating the situation? These are just questions that we're asking ourselves right now. Yeah. Canadians believe that, that that question is worthy of further investigation. And like you say, p- perhaps the, the door opening our foot in the door because where those police budgets are reallocated could be a whole different poll, particularly as now we're into this arena. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Canadians are well aware that there simply isn't just more money uh, to, 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 you know, allocate towards the problem. So we can't just increase social services without necessarily reducing budgets elsewhere. And so, th- you know, this seems to be maybe a, a compromise. You know, I, this isn't about reducing police forces by 50%. Right. It's really about, you know, tinkering in the margins a little bit to try mm-hmm. some new uh, potential solutions and see what works. And supports, right? I think that's the key. And and we've even heard from, you know, the chief of police here in Calgary saying, you know, he supports looking into it for sure because they, I'm sure police would welcome that kind of support. So it's not, I, I agree with you, it's it's not anti-police, this poll. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you know, I think that the police chiefs are uh, increasingly going to need to be receptive to the idea. I know when 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 those um, you know defund the police when the movement first began, maybe a month or two months ago. Uh, I think the initial reaction from the largest forces was, no, that's a, that's a crazy idea. Well, it's not crazy. Um, Canadians don't think it's crazy, uh, clearly. And um, you know, I think police chiefs are going to have to change their tune a little bit and say, okay, you know, this is in fact something worth investigating, simply on the basis that Canadians want us to do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're democracy, that's the way it works, so mm-hmm. let's look into it and, and, and present some alternatives. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, it just means it's something to investigate. Thanks for your time this morning, Sean. My pleasure. Take care. That is Sean Simpson, Ipsos Vice President. And we have a couple of quick texts here. This one here says, currently... The social workers call the police because they can't handle their clients. I think that's the great co- combo idea, it's right? A combo. Yeah, and I and I think that again, this was the opening 
uh, question about defunding. You could really get into what Canadians think about where those funds should be allocated and what we should be focusing on in our country, for sure. The other one here says Canada isn't the U.S., nor our police is. Uh, nor no. is our police services the same. FYI, police in Canada have a different policy. They have college degrees, including masters at times. Police in the U.S. have to pass high school. It's just a job in the States like a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, the discussion is that some funds might be allocated to get supports that would work in conjunction with the police for certain calls. And some of the police, the high-ranking ones, are certainly, uh, you know, in favor of that discussion. And by the way, I have to put this uh, you know, out there right now because we know a lot of uh, folks who are mechanics. It, that's not just a job. You have to go to, oh. to school to become a mechanic. Oh. I have a lot of friends who spend a lot of hours you're and their apprenticeships kidding. are huge, but I get where you're coming from, Texter. Okay, so uh, let's also talk about the police being called into this incident. You likely saw this on the news yesterday or over the weekend that Airdrie uh, hit with a third homophobic vandalism incident this summer. First uh, couple of times they involved the uh, Pride uh, Rainbow Crosswalk area that they had painted in Airdrie. and Graffiti someone and Hard a second Hard time. and feathered the Hard, second yeah. time, yeah. And this time was, uh, as you're heading um, to, well, I guess you'd see it either way, but I think more as you're coming out of Airdrie, mm-hmm. south to Calgary, there's sort of a little barn um, on the right-hand side by the city of Airdrie sign. Looks like an abandoned barn. You've yeah. probably seen it. And someone wrote LGBT virus on it in spray paint. So, first of all, they couldn't even get the letters right because they weren't smart enough to do that. But honestly, who's wasting their time with that? If you can't get past this issue by now, Really, there's you just you need to do a little more educating Air, with yourself. Yeah, Adrian RCMP said Smart they were up. unaware when it was brought to their attention, and and they're on it right now. But it's been repainted with a little bit of a different um, slogan on it now. The uh, LGBTQ community and supporters have gone out. The people who own that farm, just regular citizens who think this is just ignorant and and stupid, is really all this is is somebody who has no understanding of what they're doing. And, and if you're so, the property owner, you have to you're faced with cleaning this up. And like, you, they don't want it. Serving. And yeah. they are completely against and condemn what was written on the side of the barn. So anyway, that's been uh, painted over. They're going to put something. They're actually going to put something nice. They're going to do some sort of a mural on the side oh, of that barn eventually just to, uh, you know, tr- truly get that out of the way and it's not a, have to deal with it. It's in a great uh, location. Let's put a positive message on For that. For sure. It is 718. Uh, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master plan community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. We're flying over Crowtail Trail in the southwest end. We've got a southbound left lane closure as you approach Bow Trail for ongoing construction. That's going until 3 this afternoon. If you're continuing down towards Glenmore Trail, tow truck is on scene for what looks to be a broken down vehicle. They are off to the right shoulder, but you'll definitely want to slow down in that right lane. Also, if you're heading towards the downtown core, we've spotted a broken down semi on the exit ramp from 16th Avenue to southbound 14th Street. It sits right at the end of that exit ramp. So if you're emerging onto southbound 14th Street, you'll have to do it a lot sooner than expected. And in the downtown core, westbound 11th Avenue, just after Center Street, the right lane is blocked off by a fire truck. Looks like a downed power line in the area. Demand is rising. There is an immediate need for blood. Over 13,000 appointments to be filled across Canada by August 3rd. Appointments are required. Book now at blood.ca. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter. I'm Freddie Howard. on the morning news, and the numbers continue to climb in the U.S. The death toll will surpass the 150,000 mark in the coming days with details on the COVID-19 crisis south of the border and weekend updates. We're joined by Washington reporter for Global News, Jennifer Johnson. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Well, good morning. 
We spoke last week uh, with Reggie Cicchini on this same topic, the number one headline in the U.S. Um, and the hot spots, to me, uh, something when we talk week after week, seem to shift and change. So where are the hot spots right now, Jennifer? Well, the hot spots still remain Florida, California, Texas, Arizona, but now places like Indiana are becoming a new hot spot. But oddly, there are states such as Montana and Hawaii, which up until now have had very few cases. They're seeing their cases double and triple over the past three days in Hawaii, seven days in Montana. So the virus is, is getting into places that have not seen it before. And of course, Places like Texas and Hawaii are, are dealing with a double whammy. Texas got hit with a hurricane over the weekend. Hawaii Hurricane Douglas is, is lurking around today. And that's exasperating an already difficult situation, especially in Texas and the Mexico-Texas border, where hospitals have already been overwhelmed by the coronavirus. Then they lost power. They had um, flooding because of the hurricane. So... The governor of Texas all weekend was saying, please, if you're going to shelter, keep your distance, you know, uh, try to be careful. The hospitals can't handle any more people. So it's, you know, it's just one thing after an exit seems. The number of COVID-19 cases worldwide has doubled over the past six weeks, nearly 16 million. That's where we're at now. Anything from Donald Trump over the weekend? Did he come out to yay or nay? He's been spotted wearing a mask occasionally, but not something he clearly is still in favor of. Well, the president was unusually quiet this weekend. He went up to his New Jersey home in Bedminster. He golfed um, over the weekend and he didn't hold any kind of press conference. He has started holding coronavirus update press conferences. There's some skepticism about whether or not he's actually offering new news to the American public or whether or not this is kind of being used as a platform because we are less than 100 days until the November election and campaigning for both candidates is very difficult. So uh, we haven't heard yet whether or not he's going to speak at the White House. He's got a couple of events which are being covered by the press, so likely he will say something. But he keeps saying, look, this is contained to a few states. It's not a nationwide problem. Uh, keep, you know, wearing your mask and, you know, hopefully we'll get a vaccine soon. I mean, it just seems to be the same mantra, and yet the death toll continues to rise and the positive cases continue to rise. One of the main issues was uh, testing, uh, you know, in the past uh, several weeks. Is that starting to turn the corner? Are tests available for anybody who needs it in, in the U.S.? Well, the Department of Health is processing about close to 800,000 tests a day. Um, the concern with the Department of Health is that the turnaround time to get the results lags somewhere between, there are some tests that are rapid, sort of like a rapid strep test, but not nearly enough. So the average time for you to get your results back in America is 4.7 days. And that's too long because in many cases it is over a week. Um, and it's very hard for people who don't know if they have it to quarantine, stay home from work, avoid people. You know, if they know they're positive, they're more likely to do it. If they've just had a test and the test results are taken up to two weeks, that's a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. So what the Department of Health is trying to do now is work on a rapid test. The um, government has committed $1.5 billion to try to get a rapid coronavirus test, which is similar to the rapid strep test that most of us have had. Thanks for the update this morning. Appreciate your time, Jennifer. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. That's Jennifer Johnson. That's Global's Washington reporter.
Oh, I get it. <laughs> Lime in the coconut. To bring in Dr. J, very excited this morning to get to the bottom of a uh, behind-the-scenes controversy here on the morning news. Now, taking vitamins and minerals, uh, mineral supplements, may be part of your daily routine, but do they really provide benefits to your overall health, or are they just a waste of money? Mm. Uh, with his, th- his thoughts, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Um, yeah, full disclosure, I do take uh, vitamins. I take 700 of them. And Sue said, that's a huge waste. What are you doing? <laughs> so throwing down the gauntlet and going to the expert, Dr. J, what do you think? Good for our health or, or a waste of money? This, this uh, topic has come up repeatedly <laughs> over decades. Sue wins. You lose. What? Come on. I feel better when I take them. I have more energy. High five. Uh, So interesting. So when you ask people why they take multivitamins, it's classically four different categories. Okay. Either I believe this is going to help my cardiovascular health, like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to get a heart attack or stroke. I'm going to help cognitive decline, meaning I won't get dementia. I might, my Mm -hmm. brain might work better for longer. I might prevent cancer. Mm-hmm. Or the ubiquitous, and this is what you would say, I, I just want to feel better, mm-hmm. whatever that means. I, I maybe have more energy, just feel better. And we have no proof of any, of scientifically of any of those categories being improved. Not even the omega-3s. So you can target. <laughs> so I make a case that... Yeah, because I take... Uh, uh, that's uh, one of my... Omega-3 fatty fish oils it, at high dose may have some improvement on overall mental health. So when for me? Okay, may. keep going. So high dose. Acid, if you're pregnant, is very, very important yeah. and should be supplemented absolutely. Sure. Okay, right? well, one more because you guys are beating me down here. <laughs> one of the huge uh, physio uh, doctors at the UFC said, well, your knee's clicking, you have some cartilage issues. I want you on glucosamine, glucosamine chondritin. I'm on that yeah. and my knee feels a lot better. What you say that? You ensue. So interesting. So uh, <laughs> glucosamine is is highly controversial. Also, oh, okay. Uh, some people believe that the benefit you're deriving is because it's acting as an anti-inflammatory. So it's similar to you taking Advil or Aleve. <laughs> That's the effect you're getting, mm. and the glucosamine itself really is questionably what? helping your cartilage and making your knees <laughs> better, better that though. way. <laughs> so interesting. So. Um, <laughs> That's hard to say, but again, that's a very specific, you're targeting a specific thing as opposed to taking a multivitamin, which has a little bit of a lot of things, Mm -hmm. all of which you can get by eating a good, healthy, well-balanced diet. Period. Okay, what if you don't eat that uh, healthy, well-balanced uh, diet? Should, well, then what, you what should the... spend your money eating a healthy, well-balanced <laughs> diet and not spend your money yes, uh, buying J. vitamins, which perhaps aren't going to get you there anyway. That cost of fortune aren't, aren't really helping you. Like a dollar a day, Sue. A dollar a day. Thank you, Dr. J. <laughs> Thank you. you Always appreciate your take on it. That's Dr. Ted Jablonski. He's our on-call family physician. on your Monday morning, and as masks become mandatory, the rule does certainly have a downside for some. The deaf and hard of hearing community is expressing concern with the loss of one of the tools that they use to understand people, and that's reading lips. We're joined this morning by Allison Stutz, CEO of Deaf and Hear Alberta. Hi, Allison. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I can only imagine because, you know, for people who are of hearing, it's still difficult with the plexiglass shields and the mask. It's tough to hear. But when you can't hear and you have, you know, you need to read lips, boy, this is going to be super difficult for folks in your community. Yes, it is. Uh, You take away a large um, 
part of how how they communicate with one another and with particularly frontline workers. How prominent is lip reading? Because I know, you know, you, you see sign language uh, quite a bit, but lip reading, is, is that something that is used, uh, you know, considerable amount among those people who, who need to uh, try to communicate? Yes, it is. It's when you're, when you're hard of hearing, um, you rely a lot on the facial expressions and taking the sound that people are making through speech and filling in the blanks with what you're observing from not only the lips, mm-hmm. um, but also the jawline and the facial expressions. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the same with, sorry. Same with death. Um, they rely a lot on that and they've grown up using that as a, as a primary way of communicating with those that do uh, speak. Now, I've seen, Alison, some of the masks that have the, the clear bit over the mouth so you can see a person's mouth and lips. But, I mean, it's few and far between that you see that out and about. So is there anything that we can do to try to help the, the deaf or hard of hearing community in Calgary? Oh, I think we may. Are, we, are you there, Alison? Yes, I am. Sorry, you is cut out better? there. Yeah, did you Sorry. did you hear my question? I, I did. Yes, I think one of there's quite a few things actually. Um, to to face the person while you're speaking, even though you have the mask on, to speak slowly, to use hand gestures and expressions with your eyes will also help. Um, turn off any background noise. Should there be anything that you can do there? Um, be prepared to write messages. Um, and some of our hard of hearing folks, they use assistive technology. So they might have a, a microphone that you can speak into that will work with their hearing aid, or they may use uh, text to talk or talk to text apps on their phone. And these are all things that people can be aware of. I know people don't want to touch other people's cell phones and have communication that way, but certainly um, having pen and paper easily ready or readily available for you to use. And I know a lot of our uh, community do that as well. And it may be necessary just to distance and pull the masks down so that you can actually uh, communicate if it's necessary. But we do want to encourage our community to wear the masks and be safe. Um, and the, the biggest thing that hearing people can do to support the deaf and hard of hearing is to be patient and to be kind. Um, sometimes you'll find yourself repeating yourself. Um, you'll know that they didn't understand because they, they answer a question in a completely um, out of context answer. So just taking the time and being patient is really, really helpful and supportive. Okay. Allison, thank you for your information this morning. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for contact, okay. contacting us. That is Allison Stutes, CEO of Deaf and Hear Alberta. You can get more online at deafandhearalberta.ca. Coming up to 909 on the morning news, a recent property uh, report of short-term rentals in Canmore uh, sold out in less than three hours because of high pre-sale demand. This is one area here in three hours. Destination real estate, a hot commodity right now, thanks to, in part, the pandemic. We're not traveling as far. With details, we're joined by realtor Claire McArdle. Good morning to you, Claire. Good morning. So we'll talk specifically about this this one development that was just, a, you know, sounded like a rock concert, tickets selling out, but in this case, real estate. <laughs> but how, how would you define uh, destination real estate to begin with? 
Well, I mean, definitely our market's on fire right now. We had we had 20 firm sales um, come across the table for that development, and we also had nine backup offers. Um, July, we've seen 45 firm sales already, um, and it's because we just don't have a lot of inventory, and we've got a lot of people coming here wanting to recreate. So they want a little piece of the pie. And Claire, did you do you find, can you tell, is it Albertans or are people coming from elsewhere and, and why now? For the most part, it is Albertans. Um, that's been, a, that's traditionally a huge part of our, our market. Um, we're not seeing as many people from the United States, but we are seeing more people from um, Ontario, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, few buyers in that project specifically from there. Um, and some of the uh, the other provinces as well. But yes, mainly um, Edmonton, Calgary and surrounding areas. But when we say destination, this is not somebody, you know, wanting to leave the city and live permanently. Uh, they're going to be using it for, for like Airbnbs or VRBOs or uh, with family and friends sharing weekends. How does that work? So all of the above. Uh, we didn't have anybody who's just buying to use it for themselves personally only. Um, a lot of people are buying them to rent out primarily and then they'll use them when they're not being rented out so essentially the property is paying for itself and they've got a great little vacation spot to go yeah what what we're we talking about for price claire what would we be looking at if we want to so, buy in canmore is there sort of i guess there must be a vast range there really is really um so we introduced something new to our market um with a couple of micro units so they were under 200 square feet so essentially a little bachelor and um, those were 189,000 plus GST. Um, but we did have units, um, three bedroom uh, properties go up to about 700. Mm. So I know you're a realtor. I'm not sure if you can answer this because it's more of a mortgage broker type question. But if I want to buy a property like this, unlike if it's going to be my principal property, I have to have a higher percentage down. Is that right toward a mortgage like this if I'm going to be mortgaging it? Yeah, so typically if you're buying a property like this, it is commercially zoned. Um, And so in the past, lenders will lend on this type of property with 35% down. But we got really lucky. Uh, We have a contact at CIBC, and she did 20% down, which I think was another big part of why this development was so successful. That's, That's unheard of for buying commercial real estate here. Claire, do you think that the pandemic has had an effect? Obviously, are you seeing that in the sales, specifically what we're talking about here, but just in general in the Canmore and surrounding area? I mean, you know, people looking for a staycation home that they want, maybe for the future and for right now? Yeah, I think the pandemic definitely opened people's eyes. I mean, they were thinking of Canmore maybe in their five to 10 year plan. Um, and it just made them realize that this is something that's really important to them and they want it now. Our sales overall are down about 10%. But, you know, we were we were locked down for two months. Um, so we're only seven months into this thing. And I'm thinking that potentially we could have a better year this year than we did last year. Mm. I think part of it also, you have to look at, you know, we could talk about destination real estate around the province, but one of the, you know, bonuses of Canmore is you don't have to live there full-time as you would in a national park like Banff. So it is a very unique area. So perhaps might not be uh, other areas in the uh, province uh, so hot when it comes to destination real estate. Exactly. And I mean, another thing to remember about Canmore real estate is that we are limited, right? So we're surrounded by a national park and wildlife corridors, and there will be a limit to how much can be developed here. So we foresee that our market will just continue to go up and up. 
Claire, if people are interested in looking at this property or any in Canmore, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they can go to our website, canmorehomesales.com. Uh, we work for Century 21 Nordic Realty, and, you know, we're just happy to help people. There's there's all different types of real estate here, whether it be short-term rentals or residential real estate, and, and we're happy to help them with whatever their needs are. It's a beautiful spot in our very own backyard. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's realtor Claire McCardle. 20% down. That sounds great because before I you know, heard it was at least you know, 35 or 50 at one point, it seemed to me anyway, that you have to have the bucks if it's going to be for the investment. But uh, opening some eyes there. Hey, this opened my eyes, and it's been in Tony's newscast this morning. A party of 200 people in Brampton, Ontario, over the weekend. Let me guess. Police had to be called in. Young people? Uh, young people. That's the, the, I'm going to go with that. The description is young people. I don't yeah. have their ages down in the article I'm looking at here. 200 people. Now, I wasn't too sure because here we said that, you know, the restrictions, you have to socially distance, but we're, we've really loosened the restrictions up. In this area, that's under the Peel region that the RCMP are looking at, and, and that's the region that they'd consider for coronavirus even, the Peel region. They're in stage two. And right now they have uh, gatherings of a maximum of 10 people with physical distancing. 200. And they had 200. Missed it by that much. And apparently it was a, a case that they, they said, uh, you know, if you if you read more into the story, that they had advised partygoers not to post on social media, which was fine unless you have 200 people and you hear that sound. So police were called, and I'm, I'm hearing it was an $800 ticket. $880, I think. Wow. And it took them an hour to clear out all the people that were in the home. So well, I suspect it was uh, some young folks uh, having a good party. And and that's part of that COVID fatigue we're hearing about, yeah. it, particularly in the, the younger segment of the population, just saying, you know, we're not we're not the ones who are getting super sick. So maybe we can do this anyway. But you remember those parties, those movies in the 80s and the parties where the cars were lined up and people were all, that would have been 200. How big is your house at this point? It's <laughs> a good party. Well, it would have been in the backyard, the garage the front yard and the street, I would think. Uh, In Nova Scotia, they are not doing that. Nova Scotia is now free of all known active COVID-19 cases. That's pretty awesome. So that was as of Saturday. No cases, no new cases discovered at this point. Now, we know in in the Maritimes, they've got an interprovincial... Uh, quarantine period of 14 days. So you can't even go from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia, say you've got to quarantine for 14 days before you go and do anything. So obviously that's having an effect because they've seen much, much lower. Now, obviously the population is smaller, but much, much lower cases overall. And they've gone 11 days now without discovering a new case of COVID-19. Yeah, they are much smaller, but it has had an impact. They've had 63 deaths. So it goes to show that it's not like they've never had an issue there. And it's also worth noting that uh, on August 1st, we have mandatory masks in our city. Mm-hmm. They're doing so well, but starting on Friday of this week, July 31st, masks will be mandatory inside most indoor public spaces in the province. So I, I like how they're not uh, taking their foot off yeah. the gas because... Just because it's going well yeah. doesn't mean that it can't change. We've got to do our best. I use the term and I'm going to... This is my disclaimer. I said eradicate on the air. I did not mean to say eradicate. I mean quash it so that it's manageable and that we very much bring the numbers down or or maybe have no new cases. We're Mm -hmm. not going to eradicate it. Absolutely not. We need a vaccine, but even that won't, you know, effectively eradicate it. It'll be quite some time before that word comes into play. 917 now. It's helicopter traffic time for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com.
Well, we had a collision on westbound Glenmore Trail approaching Crowchild. It looks like that was quickly cleared away. The delays have all eased both directions of Glenmore Trail running smoothly across the reservoir. There is some delays, though, on uh, 16th Avenue westbound in a couple of spots. At Edmonton Trail, there's a right lane closure for construction going until 3 this afternoon. And then over the northwest, traffic's down to a single lane at Beaufort Road. And this is causing delays of a couple of minutes as you continue out towards the Stony Trail construction zone. Also expect a small slowdown on Star Trail. Trail in both directions between 17th Avenue and Richmond Road. There is construction resulting in speed restrictions. Already earning PC Optimum points on groceries and health and beauty? Well, you can earn even faster when you fuel up at SO and mobile stations. Visit PCOptimum.ca for details. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard.